Today coming up on the pod, we're talking Fremantle Dockers. I've just watched their big win over Carlton in their first bit of action for the 2020 preseason here in Mandra. Uh, pretty good performance by the Dockers, so I've got some thoughts circulating around my head about my own team, so I thought I'd jump on and recap their performance. Uh, basically, it'll be a bit of a general rundown, and then later on we'll go through some who impressed and who didn't, so stick around. just coming off a big win over Carlton, a 47-point win, I believe it was in the end. Travis Collier kicked a late goal to push that margin out. It was an impressive performance uh, and an encouraging one for fans, which I think is more important. Uh, there's not too much that anyone ever takes out of preseason is the old cliche, but I actually thought there was a bit of feel in this game, and it sort of meant a bit to the Frio faithful at least, if not to the players and coaching staff at least to the fans, it was important to see that some strides had been made. Uh, You know, this could turn out to be bogus, and it might turn out that when push comes to shove in the real season, those strides haven't been made, who knows? But right now, as a Freo fan, I feel a little uplifted after watching the game, so that's kind of what encouraged me to jump on, do a bit of a recap, go through how some of the players went. There was a few that impressed, a fair few that impressed, actually. I thought uh, there were a lot of good players for the Dockers, I don't have too much to say about the Carlton side of things. They just didn't really perform up to scratch. I think David Teague would be the first person to tell you that. Sam Walsh was outstanding and excellent, but outside of that, there wasn't really anyone trying too hard to carry them. Levi Caswell, pretty good. Uh, but thought for the main crux of this podcast, we'll be talking about Frio and uh, sort of dissecting their performance. It was, it was pretty well-rounded, start to finish. I don't think they really ever truly eased off. There was probably a five-minute patch in the third quarter where it looked like Carlton was about to... Uh, I think they kicked back-to-back goals and they looked like they were about to really come come out Fremantle's lead. That never really happened. Fremantle were good enough to sort of keep them at bay for the entire time, which was an impressive thing given the, the amount of young talent that Fremantle had in this game. Obviously, no Nat Five and no Michael Walters who both played in the State of Origin bushfire, fundraiser relief, whatever you want to call it. Um, so they were sort of lacking a, a lot of seniority. No Stephen Hill, no David Mundy, no Joe Amling, no Alex Pierce for various injury reasons. Um, but there was uh, one guy who stood taller than anyone, both uh, in stature and in, uh, I guess, just presence. And that was Roy Love. Roy Love was super impressive. He dominated this entire game. There was no one from Carlton who could run with him. Uh, Pitnett didn't stand a single chance when he had to ruck against him. When Roy was up forward, he was great. Uh, when he went down back, he was fantastic. So, Lobb, uh, specifically, uh, s- super impressive performance from him. Uh, affected the score card too. He kicked one goal, I believe. Uh, 18 hit outs, 13 marks. Um, his aerial ability. I just want to talk about Roy Lobb's aerial ability for a second here because it's been years now that he's been one of the competition's best contested marks, but he's not really anyone that you think of in that capacity when someone talks about that stat. Because he doesn't go on to then dominate games with that ability. I mean, like, he affects games, but does he tear them apart? Today, he tore the game apart. And yes, it's only preseason, but this could be a a huge step forward for Rory Love sort of becoming more of a prominent player in the AFL and more of a player that opposition sides worry about. I know last year, he... Funnily enough, I mean, this seems crazy to say because he's not up there with Gorn and Grundy by any sense. I um, Disclaimer, I'm aware of that. But last year, while he was rucking for the Dockers, 
there was slight conversation about midway through the year when Fremantle was winning games and he was in the ruck outperforming some of these big-name ruckmen that he should be in contention for All-Australian. Obviously, that faded. Rory got injured. Those things happen. Uh, and unfortunately, was never really in the con- consideration for the 40-man squad. I think this year he can push into the 40-man squad an outstanding year. You can obviously see him selected as an All-Australian, but I, I just feel that this year... Rory Lobb's really ready to, to take control. He's probably going to play with a bit more freedom. Hopefully, Sean Darcy stays fit. And Lobb gets to play that forward role that he really enjoys. Uh, I think that that sort of... Like, anyone who watched the game would tell you that Rory Lobb was the standout performer here. Uh, also, Blake Akers, man. And James Aish. Like, how crazy was that? Uh, 31 disposals for Akers, 24 for Aish. He also led six tackles, kicked a goal... Those two were excellent. And what it kind of reminded me of was when Brad Hill crossed over to the Dockers in the first place. Uh, Obviously, Brad Hill left, and that's how Akers has come in via that trade. But remember when Brad Hill came in to Fremantle and he was just a fringe player with Hawthorne and never really considered a superstar? I mean, everyone knew that Hawthorne was such a great side and that's why he was a fringe player. There was no knock on his ability but it was Fremantle that gave him this, the platform to use that ability to its maximum potential. And now he's a genuine star of the competition. Who's to say the same can't happen with Akers or Aish? Particularly Aish, who was fantastic today. Uh, I don't want to discredit Akers, but Aish was the better of the two for mine. I thought he was electric all day. Longmuir mentioned pre-game that he would be using Aish in a variety of roles. He clearly saw that with a lot of midfield and a lot of down back as well. Snuck forward to kick a goal too. So... I see him as clearly very important to Fremantle's 2020. I think they really want to use him. I think him and Longmuir are obviously tight from their days at Collingwood. I think Aish is going to be a huge part of what Fremantle does midfield and defensively. And his ball movement is really good today. Really good ball movement uh, and really good ability to just work out of tricky situations. I think Fremantle showcased that all day as a team, to be quite honest. The, The working out of tricky situations. I know there was a time... I think it was in the first quarter where Luke Ryan and it might have been Brett Buley, don't hold me to this. Uh, I don't know who the other guy was down back. They were corralled by like three Carlton players on the goal square and if they had have rushed it over, it clearly would have been not pressured enough to be rushed over. So they had to keep it in. And they just kind of cakewalked it out of there and I just didn't know. I think Griffin Loeb was involved and, and that, those sorts of instances became quite regulation for Frio today, being able to sort of manoeuvre their way through tricky situations and, and sort of find their way out. Now, that that can probably be called a detriment to Carlton's pressure. They weren't really good defensively all day. They didn't chase too hard, whereas Fremantle, I thought, chased very hard at times. Uh, they didn't really... They didn't come to play, Carlton. They didn't look like they come to play. So you could take a lot of this with a grain of salt, probably, but this kind of circles back to my earlier point as well about how this was just fantastic for Frio fans uh, as, a, as a fan base to get those runs on the board early, regardless of how Carlton played. This is a confidence booster for Fremantle. It's a club that kind of needs it. They didn't have their best players on board. They didn't have Nat Fife and Michael Walters out there. And they were still able to accomplish something that was pretty cool. Um, one player I haven't mentioned already is Lockie Schultz. 14 touches, 4 goals, 6 tackles. I thought a lot of what he did... Uh, can also be taken with a grain of salt, but what can't be taken 
uh, or questioned, I guess, with that grain of salt, is his effort. Those six tackles were great, but like they were they were hard, brutal tackles. At one point, the commentators said he was uh, not taking a backward step and clinging to his football life. Um, dramatic, fucking dramatic, but kind of true because he was out there to make a name for himself. I mean, the talk has all been around guys like Brett Bewley, who obviously was his old VFL teammate this preseason, and Schultz has kind of just become this, oh, yeah, he, he's probably a fringe guy. He's probably, uh, you know, some forward depth if you really need it. And then it's like, hey, well, he kicked four goals today. There's no denying that. He was their best forward. He kicked four goals, and he was great. Uh, I thought he should kick three because I was hoping that he would pass that first one off that he sort of just... Bounded through to uh, to Sturt. Might have been his second one, actually. I, I'm not sure, but uh, Sturt was obviously open, running into the goal square. He was, the, I think they were probably the only two players in the forward fifty. And Schultz kind of looked like he tried to pass to him, but then may have may have also just been a dribble kick through the goal. I'm not sure. I was kind of hoping Sturt would get on the end of that one. Sam Sturt, another player, very impressive. Uh, thought Sturt. Showed a lot without getting the reward. Sometimes the ball just didn't bounce his way, or or there was two guys where if there had been one, he might have got around. And but the effort that he showed couldn't have been questioned. He did get on the scoreboard at one point, which was great. So really liked uh, Sam Sturt's game. But to sort of recap the game, uh, first quarter, Fremantle opened well, uh, winning midfield battles. Brayshaw, Chera, um playing playing quite well in the centre there. I thought they were both pretty good without being electrifying. Didn't, you know, romp in possession counts or anything like that. Didn't tally up huge amounts of disposals, but, um, you know, very good when it mattered sort of thing. Um, Brennan Cox, good down back, along with Griffin Lowe, both great down back early on, which kind of set the tone. Fremantle in the first quarter was clearly the better side, even though Carlton was sort of hanging around. Um, I thought Fremantle, without a doubt, was playing better footy. The the thing that sort of surprised me the most about the way the Dockers played today, because obviously we're expecting it to be vastly different from what Ross Lyon wanted them to do, but it was the amount of uncontested possessions they were able to get. Now, again, take it with a grain of salt, Carlton was not applying too much pressure, and Carlton didn't really have an answer for this all day. A better side may have an answer for this, but certainly I thought that... Carlton, while they didn't have an answer for it, Fremantle, sorry, were, were able to control that possession count. They had a ton more uncontested possessions. I actually wish I'd wrote the stat down before I had uh, gone on air here. Um, I wish I had it for you, but I know it was a lot more. And at one point, there was something like 34, 34 marks in the game to eight at one point. And that's crazy. Like, that's a huge stat. So Fremantle's never been skilled enough to do that to people, they've never been, uh, and the ball use today was was much improved, but they've never been skillful enough to just chip the ball around and hang on to possession, move and create space for each other. There was so much more movement today than there has been in the past. There was so much less long bombs. Only when purely necessary did they go far down the line. There was a lot more creating space. There was a lot more Brayshaw dropping into a hole or Conker sort of looking for someone to drop into a hole. There's, those 20 meter kicks where you just play a possession game, keep the ball off the opposition and sort of give you guys a breather, give you guys time to reset until you find the option that can break the game open, which they did a lot of the time. Uh, and I thought they did that quite successfully. So that's probably the biggest positive I'm going to take away from this whole game. And that, that started early in the first quarter. Second quarter, 
I thought from his forwards, uh, tall forwards, that is, Schultz was uh, giving a lot of effort. So was, um, so was Aish, who was playing in the midfield at this point, I thought. But second quarter, Afreo's tall forwards started to give away a lot of free kicks. Tabner, Matt Tabner had a, a very, very flat and uninspiring day. He was far from the marking power that you would expect Matt Tabner to be. Uh, he gave us a Matt Tabner of old performance, I thought. Very... Um, I mean, he was crap. I'm not going to really like dance around that. I thought Matt Tabner was pretty awful. Um, I think he would tell you that too. And I don't think it matters because obviously Freo won by a lot and the, it was a good win for the club and, uh, you know, we'll take that. But yeah, I thought Matt Tabner was, was terrible today. I feel like he gave away, I think, at least three kicks for holding Liam Jones. Why is he so worried about Liam Jones? I don't understand what... Liam Jones can be doing to Matt Tabner to go, hey, I should focus more on Liam Jones and the ball. No, just... I, I, I was getting... Ultimately, I'm getting frustrated right now just speaking about it. Um, but I thought Tabner could have given a lot more to that game uh, if he hadn't have just worried about Liam Jones so much. Um, I think it might have been Lobb might have given away one of those holding or, or sort of contest free kicks then as well. So uh, they were able to sort of get a lot of possession in their back half, the Blues. And then once they were finding Sam Walsh, who was, again, just excellent again today, showed um, showed that he's probably ready to put the team on his back when it matters. Uh, it's just the team can't, you know, completely weigh him down. Uh, but he, he'll get there. Um, yeah, I thought that sort of effort from those three forwards was a bit frustrating. Uh, Schultz having to kick four goals, not necessarily to get us over the line. We won by 47 points, but him having to kick four goals or him being the one to kick four goals, I'd rather Matt Tabner kick four goals. Um, yeah, I'm happy with anyone kicking four goals, clearly, but I think the more reliable source is those key forwards. So whether that's Lobb or Tabner, it wasn't going to be Lobb the way he played today. A lot of in the ruck, a lot of going down back, um, you know, Sean Darcy coming out with a calf complaint. Uh, Longmuir expects him to be fit next week when we take on West Coast. Uh, but yeah, there was a lot of things that weren't going to allow Lobb to kick a bag today because he had to do so much around the ground. So Tabiner, who was allowed to stay at home, or, or maybe even McCarthy, who was who was okay in the first half. I thought he faded out of it in the second. Um, probably could have kicked a few more goals. It looked like uh, the third quarter was where Carlton really pressed. So, And that sort of looked as if uh, Freeman had a lot of work to do in the middle of the ground. Or a lot of things to work out in the middle of the ground, I should say, because they started to look like they were getting beat. And it was when Connor Blakely was in. Uh, I had a really tough day digesting what Blakely dished up. Personally, I just didn't think it was good enough. You might think that's unfair, because he did get 21 disposals, and you've probably got a case against me if you do think that's unfair. But personally... I just thought Connor Blakely gave us what Connor Blakely gives us. I thought the rest of the midfield, Aish, Brayshaw, Chera, uh, Akers, when he was in there, you know, I thought they were all moving for each other, finding ways to get each other involved, and they were all sort of looked like they were on the same page, and the chemistry was quite good. Whereas Blakely goes in, and he's a bit of a bull rush, sort of just get the ball, bomb it sort of guy, which is the, the sort of thing that Fremantle's trying to get away from. We're trying to escape this whole concept of win ball, bomb it as far as you can, turn it over and it goes over your damn head, uh, and all of a sudden the other side's in transition. There were so many kicks today where I thought Blakely's just trying to kick the skin off it, he 
He was grubbering it, missing targets. There was that one time, I think it might have been in the first quarter, where he had a kick inside 50, and Cam McCarthy was streaming into open space. It was really good forward spacing and good forward craft by Cam McCarthy to lead into that space. All you had to do was pop kick 20 metres in front, chest mark, and Cam McCarthy has a shot on goal, and he's usually not a terrible shot on goal. Um, but he didn't see it. Didn't see it at all. Cam McCarthy's six feet tall, streaming at him, and he, he can't even notice it, and he just bombs it over the top, and Carlton gets away with the... I, I, I don't know if they rebounded it or if it was a stoppage or something after that, but it didn't amount to a goal when it should have been an easy shot on goal. So Connor Blakely, a bit of a frustrating day for him, I thought. Um, I guess that third quarter with Blakely having those woes in the midfield, trying to work things out, no real chemistry. That's when Carlton was able to push back into it. They kicked those two consecutive goals. Uh, but fortunately, Aish was just superb all day. And Aish going down back sort of helped steady a bit. Fremantle also made a lot of lineup changes at halftime, which no doubt can... I guess, sort of put you in and out of that chemistry. We talk about chemistry and, like, Hugh Dixon, I think it was, came in and rucked a bit. Um, and they also brought in Crowden, who played a bit of midfield. So those sorts of things. And Frederick, who I liked Frederick. He, he was quite good. Uh, I wish he got more of an opportunity, to be honest. He, he's very quick. Very quick. I feel like he's going to lay some chase-down tackles on people this year. That Commentators, it'll be the whole big deal where they, they talk about it for quite some time because it's a really big highlight play. Um, but Chero was fantastic and Sarong, Caleb Sarong's second half, he really worked into it. They were like he got fourteen touches in the end. I don't know how many of them came in the second half, but the bulk of them would have and a lot of them were just clean little silky moves. There was a spin move at centre half back where he sort of triggered a big play when it looked like, hey, maybe this would be a bit hard to get out of. Um, I think he caused a goal in the end. I was texting a buddy of mine, I know that he caused a goal, but I can't remember. I think it might have been Banfield on the end of it, uh, potentially, who kicked two goals today and was pretty impressive in the forward line himself. Uh, and then the fourth quarter came and, and Fremantle sort of just romped through, uh, kicked away. Um, the scores were tight at three-quarter time, but again, I never felt Carlton were really in it. I didn't think their whole heart was in the game today. So I sort of just expected Fremantle to run away with it, and they did in the end, which is what uh, was encouraging. Aikens finishing with 31 touches was excellent as well. He was good down the stretch. Actually rocked one hit out Blake Aikens. I remember looking at it. I was like, what the hell's going on here? Um, but yeah, they rocked a hit out. I think it was when Lobb was having a breather and Darcy was injured. So good to know that Blake Aikens can maybe do the Sean Grigg thing. Uh, that That's cool. Um, but yeah, so that's kind of the game. That was where it sat. There's not much else to really say about it. It's a preseason game. Fremantle's pretty happy. I think Longmuir was pretty stoked to see his boys uh, perform that way. They know they've got Fife and Walters and Stephen Hill. He's already named those three as all definites for next week now. Um, Sean Darcy, he expects to be fit and firing again. So there's a lot of good to take away. Um, there's a lot of things that you can look at for Frio and say this is stuff we can build on though this is stuff that is going to get better with time so the encouraging signs were there today i'll kind of round us off just with some who impressed and who didn't uh this is something that i'm hoping to do when i recap games throughout the season we just highlight some players that were up and about and then some that were not up and about uh and went the other way on Rory Lobb is clearly my best on ground today. I thought he's 23 disposals, 13 marks, 18 hit outs, one goal. But everything he did was valuable. 
a lot of intercept marks down back, a lot of contested marks that kept plays alive, super reliable, super valuable in every single way. When you've got a player that can take those 13 marks, it's just keeping play alive. That's what that is. It's just keeping play alive to a point where something can at least happen down the line or you'll gain an extra 50 metres or things like that that I just thought Rory Lobb was spectacular and I'm really hoping it continues into the regular season because if it does, it's not anything other teams can really stop. Who, who do you put on Rory Lobb? Who do you guard Rory Lobb with when he's actually in good form? When he's not, sure, you can sort of hope that he fades into the into the background and uh, nothing really comes of his day. But when Rory Lobb's on fire, there's, there's nothing you can really throw at him because you need to have a big guy on him. But he can kill your big guy. Like, it may end up, say, I guess they put, like, a, say they're playing Melbourne and he's on fire and Melbourne decides to put Max Gorn on him. I just expect them both to run right. I don't expect either of them to stop the other. Um, which isn't ideal. Ideally, you would like Lobb to just destroy him, as a Fremantle fan, that is. But, you know, he's at least going to get his. I don't see anyone that can actually stop what he was doing today. There's no one in the AFL that I think can do that. Uh, Aish was clearly my second best. Uh, I thought his 24 disposal, 6 tackle, 1 goal effort was phenomenal. Uh, he worked all around the ground. I talked earlier about the various roles that Longmuir was going to want to have him in. That was excellent. Just having to watch him, uh, getting to watch him, having to, as if it was uh, forced on me. But uh, no, getting to watch Aish perform like that, again, strikes me as a player that in previous clubs where they're, you know, Collingwood's a damn good side. It's hard to be the guy in Collingwood when you're contesting with Trelaw and Pendlebury and Sidebottom and Adams and all these amazing players. Aish is going to come to Fremantle and he's not going to face those roadblocks, which... People might look at it and go, well, he's not better than those guys. How do you expect to win a game against those guys? Well, A, he's fucking lining up against Nat, next to Nat Five, So there's that. But also, I, I think Aish is just... Fremantle's going to be a place where he can come and maximise his talent because he's got that window to, you know? Akers is the same. When did you ever see Akers put in a performance like that for St Kilda? He was just restricted in the role he was in. He's not restricted anymore which might speak to Fremantle's lack of depth, but also speaks to the ability that they're going to get out of these guys and the productivity they're going to get out of these guys who are going to come into the system. They've been designed a role for them. They've been traded in. They're probably quite confident at this point. They're probably, they probably well, they seem as if they really enjoy being in Fremantle for now. So I expect big things from both of those guys. They were excellent. Akers, of course, was one of my, my third best on. Schultz, you've got to give a nod to Schultz in the Who Impressed column again. 14 touches, his four goals. And really just battled hard all day. Sometimes there were mistakes he made. He gave one ridiculously stupid high tackle, high contact for a kick away where he, I think it was maybe against Fisher, Zach Fisher, where he, he sort of just clotheslined him on the wing off the ball. Um, that was a bit silly. Uh, but out of that, after that, you could sort of see, like, even with those mistakes and the mental errors, you could see how hard he was trying and how hard this game mattered to him, how, how hard he was going to go in this game, how much effort he was going to give. So really impressed with Schultz. Uh, Brayshaw and Chera, I sort of wanted to give one simultaneous nod to. Both ended up with 19 touches. Brayshaw had seven tackles. Chera had a goal. Uh, Chera was clean all day. I think at halftime he had 10 touches at 100% efficiency. It's exactly what Fremantle need for him. His first touch came in the first 10, 20 seconds. It was a clearance, it was a kick, and it was elite. 
to hitting someone on the chest uh, going back in. So, yes, he was on the boundary and he looked inside from the boundary. And I can't remember who he hit. It might have been Bailey Banfield, but he hit him right on the chest. And Brayshaw just tried hard all day. Brayshaw's a running machine. He's a tackle machine. So, really great uh, to see them. The other one was Brett Buley and Caleb Sarong, who I talked a little about uh, before. Caleb Sarong sort of worked his way into it. And I, I think this kid is going to be something special. I hate saying that after just one preseason game. It sounds so cliche. He got 14 touches in a preseason game. Let's not lose our minds and blow the roof. But I just think Caleb Sarong has something to offer on a big level once he can find his footing in the AFL world. And I think it'll happen quite quickly. I would have loved to have seen Hayden Young in this game. I wasn't thinking too much of Liam Henry. Uh, but Hayden Young was another player that I would, I'm really loving uh, the idea of getting to see him next week. I'm hoping that Fremantle can have him ready for next week against West Coast and at least getting some preseason action before the season starts because uh, Hayden Young would have enjoyed a game like today, which was relatively pressure-free. It was a good introduction to have to AFL footy, and I think Hayden Young would have thrived. But nonetheless, Caleb Strong really good. Brett Buley just did all the right things. Uh, 19 touches isn't a huge amount, but sort of the touches he got all impacted the game. Very valuable, sort of like Blob, in the sense that both of them were just, uh, you know, getting that luck where a bounce might go your way. or so, and, and you create your own luck in that sense, where if you're on fire and you're playing well, then yes, you're going to find a lot of footy. You're going to, uh, you know, get the bounce to go your way. And he, he was gut-running too, Billy. So excellent to see uh, the Frio runner, um, the Frio gut-runner doing what he does. Uh, so that was great. That sort of rounds out who I think was impressive. I've got three names on my non-impressed list. I've already listed two of them. The other I didn't talk about because, to be quite frank, it's totally irrelevant. Uh, I thought Brandon Matera had a stinker of a game. And I, I'm i going to put my hand up right now. Anyone who listens to my podcast moving forward will probably figure out that I'm not big on Brandon Matera. I don't like him at all. He may have kicked 30 goals last year. I, I Somebody had to kick him outside of Walters. So uh, I eight disposals, zero goals, two, and two tackles today. Made a bunch of missed kicks, dropped an easy sitter chess mark that would have set up a set shot on goal. Uh, had a really similar day to Tabana, where it should have been an easy day for those two. Experienced players uh, against a Carlton team that clearly wasn't there to, to perform at their peak of their powers. And you sort of let the opportunity slip by throwing up an absolute stinker and laying an egg. So I didn't like Matera's game at all today. I thought he just uh, lacked effort. Uh, and I just don't see him in Fremantle's best 22, to be quite honest with you. I know he kicked 30 goals last year, but... Uh, maybe a depth player, probably good depth to call upon because he can kick goals, but I don't really want Brandon Matera in their best 22. The other that didn't impress me was Matt Tabiner. I thought, uh, I've talked a bit about him already, so I won't harp on about him too long, but definitely thought he could have taken control of this game and he could have stamped some authority after he's coming back from a foot injury and trying to continue where he left off last year. Very impressive first half to last season. I just don't think he was fully in it today. I don't think his heart was fully there, to be quite frank, and I don't think he mattered much to the opposition. Liam Jones... Uh, Liam Jones beat him. It's quite simple. Liam Jones did the job on Matt Tabiner, so there's not much in that. And Connor Blakely, who I've talked about, his disposal by foot, still super frustrating. 
finds it enough. 21 disposals was good in a day where the disposal wasn't, you know, there wasn't a disposal beast from anyone except probably Blake Akers who got 31. Um, but I do think that Connor Blakely needs to perform better. I think he needs to perform better. I, he might be in their best 22 now. I'm not going to give him the material treatment and just say that he's not part of the best 22. But I, I have serious doubts over Connor Blakely and, and what he's able to give this team moving forward if his disposal is going to be like that. Put it this way, if you're going to squeeze someone back in that midfield uh, and that someone being Nat Fife, then someone's got to be squeezed out. And I'm not squeezing out Brayshaw or Chera or Akers or Aish. They're not going anywhere. I'm not getting rid of Sarong because the upside's too big. I don't want to get rid of Bewley, even though he played a lot predominantly on the wing. I don't want to get rid of him. I want to get rid of Connor Blakely if someone has to go and be in a best 22. I don't, I don't think he's better than any of those guys. I don't think he can offer what any of those guys can yet. On his day, he's still a serviceable player. There's no doubt about that. But I just don't think he's at the level of what Akers and Ace were doing today. In fact, I know just by looking at them that he wasn't on that level. So I'll be interested to see what kind of calls they make in round one with, with regards to Connor Blakely and team selection. So that's it. That's me anyway for the Fremantle's first uh, March Community Series game. I was pretty excited just to have Fremantle footy back. Um, in fact, I was really excited to have Fremantle footy back. I bugged my girlfriend all week this week telling her that I was going to be... I was not going to be communicating with her uh, for the rest solid three hours on Saturday. So, um, yeah, excellent to have Freya footy back. I'm really excited for it. I'm really excited to have footy back in general. Uh, next week, I'm hoping to have my first guest on the show. I won't reveal who it is yet because I'm still trying to set this up. But uh, hopefully we'll have someone on who can come on and talk some footy. And also maybe just some, well, some whatever. They can talk whatever the hell they want to talk about. This is my show, so screw it. Uh, but yeah, that's it. I'm going to jump. So thanks so much, guys. And uh, yeah, go for it. <laughs>